I got a picture for you this morning, and I'll put this face up here and see if any of you recognize this gentleman. Does anybody know who this is? Who? No, his first name's Stephen. Can you think of his last name? No, not Steve Harvey, no. He's... No, that's not Steve Harvey, by the way. This guy's name is Stephen Covey. Has anybody heard of Stephen Covey before? All right. Here's the deal. Most of us in this room have either been directly or indirectly affected by the work of Stephen Covey. He's an author, he is a business guru, and he is a keynote speaker. I shouldn't say he is, he was. He is no longer living. Uh, But a very influential man uh, in the world of business and really... Um, not even just in the world of business, just in the world of how do you like live life. Uh, one of his most famous works, and actually it was a work that I came across first when I was a little fresh-faced teenager in high school. His book that he had was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've not read that book, if you don't know who Stephen Covey is, I have a hard time believing that somebody and all of us have not heard that title before, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. People. I actually sat on my shelf for most of my teenage years. As a result of, I was very, I'm very proud of this. I was a part of the Teen Student Leadership Academy in high school, all right? We actually went away and went on retreats, and we had to read books by Stephen Covey and other people. Uh, and it's, it's why I'm such a fabulous person today, is because I was in the TSLA. Yeah, all right, everybody's laughing. And while I cannot say that I internalized every bit of that book, I certainly remember thumbing through the Seven Habits book quite a bit uh, in high school. And after 25 years and 25 million copies of that book being sold, it holds just as much relevance now as it did back in the day that he wrote it. And like I believe 1989 is when he wrote the first edition of that book. I came across an article this week that compressed the entire Seven Habits book down to the ten greatest quotes, and I was really struck with how much of what Stephen Covey says in that book has to do with what we've been talking about over the last few weeks and busyness and being overbooked and the important things in life. And for starters, habit number two in the book deals with beginning with the end in mind. I mean, is there any statement that encapsulates better what we have been discussing in this sermon series. If we cannot see beyond the present moment, we can't see beyond the seemingly mundane things in our life to grasp a larger picture of what God wants for us and what He wants in us and what He is doing. If we can't get past temporary to take a hold of the eternal, we will constantly feel like we are just spinning our wheels in life. We're getting nowhere. In our day-to-day life, we simply must be able to stay focused on what really matters and leave everything else by the wayside or at least until we have sought out God's call in every other area of our life that's what we've been talking about for two weeks now it's what we'll continue talking about this morning what things in life really and truly matter I just shared with my Sunday school class before coming in here uh, I feel that as I get older I don't know if it's like every year older or like maybe every month older some things in life just become crystal clear what matters and what doesn't matter anymore I told them yesterday I felt like really great and wonderful with myself. I am a huge Notre Dame fighting Irish football fan. And so I was watching the game last night. And I really literally, I'm not even like exaggerating this. I don't think I yelled at the TV once last night, all right, which is highly unusual. Well, they were winning. That that, that doesn't have to do anything with it, Tom. (laughs) 
Give me kudos and give me credit where credit is due, all right? Some things just don't matter as much as they used to. Habit three. Covey gets to the heart of exactly what we're going to talk about this morning as he urges his readers, and get this, to put first things first. One of the habits of highly effective people, put first things first. Guys, it's all about priorities. Actually, I'm convinced that for us to escape the busyness trap in our lives, to get rid of the anxiety and the stress and the hurry and the worry in our lives, living a prioritized life is key. We have to know what's important and we have to shoot for that. In fact, 30% of the memorable quotes that this article pulls out of the Seven Habits book, 30% of them are about priorities. That's staggering to me. We would think, what are the things that make up somebody who's really super effective? And we could think of a, a bunch of things. But for this man who I believe has some genius in this world and what it takes to be kind of successful in life, he says 30% of them are priorities. Listen to these wise words from Stephen Covey. He says, most of us, most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and we don't spend enough time on what is important. It was Dwight D. Eisenhower that first popularized that idea when he said, the urgent is rarely important and the important is rarely urgent. Some of Covey's other notable quotes on priorities, he says, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And some of you are sitting there like, these are really great quotes, and like his guy, he's a good wordsmith. He really spun it together. This guy lived this stuff. He lived what he said. But it's the last two quotes that I'm going to read this morning, at the beginning part here, that really get me and that help to launch us in our topic for this morning. At one point in the book, Covey gives us these words that I think are so very important. He says that you have to decide what your highest priorities are, and you have to have the courage, and I love how he says this, to pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically say no to other things. Can I, how many of you in here are like a yes person? I raise my hand because I'm a yes person. Like you ask me to do something, I'm like, yep, I'm there. All right, next person asks me, yep, I'm right there too. Do you know what happens when you say enough yeses? You can't do it. It says you have to have, like, this is really tough for a person who is a people pleaser, who just wants to say yes to everything, to be able to look at somebody and say, I'm sorry, but no, I can't do that. I can't be there for that meeting. I can't be there for that party. I can't do this. I I can't do everything. So smilingly, pleasantly, unapologetically, No. And he says this, and this to me is really a key, and I think it's not just something in a business book. I think this is for life in general. The way that you say no, the way that you do that, is by having a bigger yes burning inside of you. See, I think that's a problem for so many people, is that they don't have a bigger yes burning inside of them. They don't have a bigger purpose. They don't have a bigger calling burning inside of them. So they just say yes to every little thing. And then they can't say no. And he says what we've said so many times over the last two weeks, the enemy of the best is often the good. Putting it a different way, he says the phrase that has been burned into my mind for years. I've seen it in many different places. I've seen it on plaques on walls. And he says this, The main thing is to keep the main thing 
the main thing. Yeah? How many of you have heard that quote before, all right? You're like, where did that come from? This man right here. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Guys, it's all about priorities. But how do we do that? How do we keep the main thing the main thing? It all starts with a prioritized life. And a prioritized life starts with daily, simple choices. And can I share with my Sunday school classes a little bit ago? Every single choice that we make is something that we willingly make. We don't just like stumble into something. Oh, I didn't make the choice to do this. You make the choice to do that. You make the choice to do everything. And I think that there are two daily choices that I believe that every one of us needs to come to and every one of us needs to make. It doesn't come from any business book. It doesn't come from any leadership guru. It comes from God's word. The choices that we need to make that are so very important. And I want to frame our entire time that we have this morning around these two choices that each of us have to make. Some of us have made these. So, and I really think that we have to make these choices daily. Not just one time in our life. Daily we have to wake up and say, this is what I'm going to do in my life. The first thing that we must do is that we must make a daily choice to serve God alone. Do you realize how many things would be cleared up in life if we just woke up every single day and said, I, with everything that I have in me and with everything that you give me, God, I am going to serve you alone. Do you think that would clear up a whole lot of things in your life? I, I know it would for me. It would clear up my schedule. It would clear up every... There, there is simply, guys, no relationship that is more important to our wholeness and our healthiness in the Christian life than deciding to serve God alone. What, is, what does Joshua say to the people of Israel in Joshua 24? He says at the very end, he gives this charge to the people. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly with everything. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. In case they didn't get it the first time, he says it a second time. Serve the Lord alone. No one else. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today. There's that word again. That's why I think we have to choose it every single day that we are going to serve God alone. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer to serve those gods that you once served? How will you live? And then he says here at the very end, the really famous phrase that he has here in verse 15. As for me... And my family, guess what we're going to do? We're going to serve the Lord alone. That's it. Nothing else. But as important as that daily choice is, and I think it is supremely important, I really think you need to wake up every single day and ask that question and say that. I'm going to serve God alone. Honestly, of the two choices I'm going to give you this morning, that one is probably the easiest to accept. I mean, most all of us can get behind the idea of serving and loving and following God most of the time. All right? I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give us that. But I think it is this second call on our lives, the daily choice that we must make, that is without a doubt the most challenging. And it comes to us from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, and it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I catch this, If any of you... And he doesn't just say to the disciples, he's saying it to all of us even today here in this room. If any of us want to be Jesus' follower, you must turn away from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then he comes to this line that I, I so love. 
What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, it's a problem with so many people in this world today, I think, is that so many of us have lost our soul. Because we've gone on living for other things, that we've chose to live life for ourselves or for someone else, and not for God. I mean, what, what is Jesus saying in these three verses right here in Matthew chapter 16? We must die to ourselves daily. So it's not good enough for us to wake up on Monday morning and be like, you know what, God, I'm going to live this week for you, and I'm not going to live this week for myself. And then we go through our week. It doesn't do any good to just do that on Monday. Like, I know at least for my life, I need a daily reminder I just need to wake up every single day and I need to say, today, God, today, Jesus, I need to die. It doesn't need to be about me. I don't need to get my way. I need to die daily. It's not popular. It doesn't play well to the masses, but I do not know of any other way to step out of the go, go, go mentality that many of us have and step into a life of priority than for us to die to ourselves. And guys, here's the honest to goodness truth. Our choices are daily choices. Every single choice that we make is determined by our priorities. What's most important to us? As I think the single greatest reason that most of us never tame the busyness beast is that we continue to move through our life tired and aimless and unfulfilled is because we are unwilling to die to ourselves. We're unwilling or we don't want to get rid of anything or to let go of anything in our lives. I know that's true of my life so many times. I'm like, yeah, I should probably give this up, but I just want to hold on to it so much. Like, here's one for a lot of us. Like, we we like a schedule, don't we? Because it's comfortable, it confines us, it tells us what we need to do and when we need to do it. And so we say, but no, like, God, that's not really on my schedule today. Do you see it? I've got it listed right here from start to finish. And I don't see any room for it. And so we continue to just busy ourselves and just run on that hamster wheel because we will not let go of anything in our lives. We, we rearrange, we shift, we tighten up our schedule, but all we're really doing is just kicking the can down the road because we have not pruned anything in our lives. We haven't made any room for the greater things of God because we're holding on to good things. And that's what we've talked about so much during the series. A lot of the stuff that we do When it comes to busyness, it's not bad stuff. It's just not the best stuff. It's not the greatest thing that we could hold on to. I I want you to turn to 2 Kings for a moment. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is going to be a really weird story. And you're going to be like, what in the world is he talking about this for? I don't don't get it. But there is a point to this story. And we're going to swing back around to it. But I've got to read the story first. 2 Kings chapter 4. It's coming very quickly. There we go. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. This is only a smaller part of a larger story, but it's the part of the story that I want to tell. It says, one day Elisha, you remember Elisha, he was an Old Testament prophet, he came after the great Old Testament, Elijah, 
All right, it says one day Elisha went to the town of Shunem, and a wealthy woman, that's a very important part of the story there, hold on to that, a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. And after that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. And she said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. And so let's build him a small room on the roof and we'll furnish it with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp. And then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. That's it. That's all I want to read that story. And you're thinking to yourself, why in the world did we just read a story about a woman who wants to build a house for Elisha on her roof? I don't get it. Do you see what this woman was doing? And here's the thing I want to tell you because you might think to yourself, well, she really just wanted something from Elisha, didn't she? What was that thing that I said at the very beginning of the story about her? What was she? She was a wealthy woman. She needed nothing from Elisha. Nothing. What was this woman doing in building a house on her roof so that he could stay there? She was, she was practicing good hospitality, of course, all right, but she was, be, she was being prepared. She was making room for something to happen. And guys, here's the deal. Planting seeds and preparing is a priority issue. And when we make room, we make a way for God to move in our lives. I want to read a couple scriptures out of Proverbs that I ran across this week that I thought were so very interesting that talked about priorities. The first one, Proverbs 24, 27, says this. Very, very clear is what I've been talking about. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. And you may look at it and be like, I don't, I don't get it. That seems like really out of order. I don't care about whether it seems out of order or not. What is the person in Proverbs talking about? Plan? Prepare. What does that all sound like, folks? Priorities. Make sure you get the important things done first before you worry about other things. There's another one in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 23 says this. I love this. Know the state of your flocks. And you guys are saying, I don't have flocks. I don't have flocks. Unless you're the Hartwells, I don't have flocks here, all right? Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. What do you know about Old Testament culture? What kind of a culture was it? Do what? Agricultural, agrarian, rural, all right? Everything revolved around taking care of your crops and taking care of your herds. And if you didn't, it meant really bad things for you and your family. So what in the world is he saying here? Know the state of your flocks and put everything into caring for them. What is he saying in short, guys? Know what is most important. Know your priorities. Here, here's the thing. Here's the big truth. Guys, we cannot make God move. There's nothing that we can do to manipulate God and make him do anything that he's not going to do. But you know what we can do? We can make room for God to move in our lives. So that's why I read read that really weird story in 2 Kings 4. Here was a woman who, unannounced and unprovoked, decided, I'm going to make room for something to happen. Something does happen because later in the story... She's promised a son. She has a son that she couldn't have before. That son gets sick and he seemingly dies. And then Elisha steps into the picture and he saves and brings this boy back to life. Would any of that have happened if she did not make it a priority and she did not plant seeds and she did not prepare to make a way for God to move? 
See, I think this is the problem in most of our lives, is that most of us have no room in our lives for God to step in. Because we've jam-packed it with so much other stuff in life that we can't even make room for God to move in our lives. There are plenty of things that God may be calling us to, but we usually do not like to do what it's going to cost us. The sacrifice that's involved, what we have to get rid of. Those are the tough questions in life. As we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, what in the world am I going to cut out of my life so that I can make room for God? I can make room for the important things in life. And it sounds all well and good on the surface for a guy to sit up here and talk about that and to talk about priorities, but it's really tough to look at our own lives and think, I don't know what in the world I'm going to cut out. It's tough. It it involves sacrifice. It involves tough decisions. It involves you dying to yourself daily. Here are a couple of questions for you to ponder at this point. How in the world do your daily choices detract from the life that God is trying to offer to you? I believe he is. I believe God is for every one of us. He comes to us and he puts it on a platter and says, here's what you need to do to have the life that I have for you. If only you would be willing to just make room for me. What in the world is detracting in our lives that God is trying to offer us? On the same note, here's a really tough question. I don't ask it as a rhetorical question. Like, what if, maybe if, no, like, this is the question. What in the world do you need to drastically change in your life in order for you to let go of the good or the better to take a hold of the best? What do you need to prune from your life? What do you need to take out of your life? What things don't need to be important in your life anymore so that you can make room for the important things in your life? Guys, it all starts and ends with priorities. And really, to me, there is no better example of what it looks like to live out priority than Jesus himself. And I know that there's some people who are saying, well, there was, he's Jesus, though. Like, I hate that excuse. Yes, he is Jesus. And guess what? Like, we can learn from him because guess what? He was 100% human. So the things that we struggle with, he struggled with. So don't give me the, he's Jesus. Yeah, he is Jesus. What did he do? How did he make it work? In his book, Crazy Busy, author Kevin DeYoung says to this, I am amazed by the more mundane things about Jesus' life and ministry, like the fact that he never uttered a thoughtless word. Have you ever thought about that? Every word that Jesus spoke was with purpose. It was on purpose. He says, not only am I amazed by that he never uttered a thoughtless word, but I am amazed that he never spent a wasted day. Do you ever read the Gospels and think to yourself, you're like, Jesus totally missed that? Like, How many of us in our own life, we get to the end of the day and we're like, what in the world did I just do with my day? I don't feel like I got anything done. In fact, I actually think I just moved backwards in life. Every one of us have felt like that. Do you know the amazing thing about Jesus? Jesus never woke up the next day and thought, I really missed the mark yesterday. Could have really done better there. Never, ever did Jesus waste a day. Never, ever did Jesus waste a moment. He never strayed from his father's plan. Everything Jesus did was done out of necessity and purpose because he operated out of one thing. What? Priority. What is most important for me to do today? He knew his priorities and he stuck with them no matter how much they cost, no matter what risk was associated with them. Jesus, here's the thing. We think, like, what did Jesus really turn down? I mean, like, Jesus was not turning down rec league soccer. Like somebody said, Jesus, you know what? I feel like you'd be a really good soccer player. Jesus says, oh, it's 
it's really tempting. Yeah, no. Nah. No, Jesus wasn't turning down rec league soccer. Do you know what he was turning out, down constantly? People who were diseased and people who were blind and people who were hurting and people who were lost. People with diseases and sicknesses that he could have easily dealt with. And do you know what it did to the people around Jesus when he did that and said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to meet your need today because this is what I really have to go do. It frustrated people. Frustrated a group of people called the Pharisees, that he didn't deal with urgent and pressing needs. But here's the thing, we said it way back in week one, Jesus was not driven into action by people's compulsions, by people's urgings, by people's needs, because he knew his priorities and he didn't let anything else deter him from that, from his God-given task. Jesus operated primarily and solely out of priority which was really just a byproduct of a larger thing because Jesus knew his mission. What would happen in this world today? What would happen in this community? Let me just boil it down to something more manageable for us. Let me just bo- what would it mean just you, for you in your, your life, in your family's life, if you knew your God-given mission and purpose? And then with everything that you had said, I am going after that. That's my most important thing. I I really, as I look at the Gospels, there are some very clear things to me that stand out that really mean a whole lot to Jesus. Jesus was very, very, very serious about preaching, preaching God's word. Jesus was also very serious about prayer. And Jesus was also very serious about people. I mean, it's kind of the reason he came to this earth. And all of that, preaching and prayer and people, all culminated in the cross. This this blows my mind. I I love these scriptures. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. He says this, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, uh, this basically is to say, as it drew near that Jesus knew that he was about to die, listen to what it says. Jesus resolutely, that's a very important word, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Like, I don't know about you, but if I knew that my mission and purpose in life was to go and to die for all mankind, I don't quite know if every single step that I had would be a resolute one. Like, you know what? I'm going to die today. I'm going to die today. I'm going to die today. But for Jesus, he operated in his life out of that every single day. I'm going to die, but I'm going to make what I have right now count. And I'm going to live out my life. I mean, it says that all over Scripture. It says that three chapters later that he had his face set towards Jerusalem. Every time it says that in Scripture, it means I have my purpose in mind, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to fulfill this purpose. If someone were to come, if I were to come down to you today, if I were to come to Doug, and I would say, Doug, tell me the two to three priorities in your life that all of your life is structured around that all of your life operates around. And I would come to, if I had a chance to do this, I would love to do this to every single person and go around. What are the two to three things that make you tick? Could you write down, could you say those priorities that motivate and direct your life? I think perhaps what is most important really in all of this is to think regularly about what ought to matter in life rather than what is mattering in your life right now. Because here's the thing, I'd probably come to you and say, what's your priority? And you would tell me a nice list of two or three rosy things that look really wonderful and sound really wonderful. But is that really the truth? 
You may think that's what ought to happen, but what is really mattering in your life right now. Guys, without purpose and without priority, everything else in life becomes a priority. We will keep pushing things aside that we say are important. And here's the thing we have to notice. If Jesus had to be really deliberate with his number ones, like this is, this is what I do. Preaching, prayer, people. That's what I do. And guess what? All of that caught up in the fact that I have to go and die on a cross. Jesus knew that. And if he had to be deliberate about that, so will we. Guys, we have to give max effort to pushing the pause button in life, staying dedicated, being disciplined, and making our personal mission to stay on mission. Kind of this morning give you three reasons that priorities need to be a priority for our faith. That's actually really two big reasons and one bonus truth that I give you just free of charge today. Just for being here today, I'll give you something for free, all right? The first thing is this, guys. Priorities are good because they teach us that we can't do or we can't have it all. We talked about this a little bit in week number one. Some of us operate out of this mindset that, guess what, I can do it all. I can be all things to all people all the time, everywhere. That's who I am. All right? Just go, go, go. That's what I'll do. All right? Until you run yourself into the ground. Then you can't do it anymore. If you are unwilling and you are unable to set priorities in your life, you think that they're unnecessary in your life, you don't believe in your own boundaries then you've got a big problem in your life. Let me, let me put it this way. Do any of us in this room this morning think that we can just walk out of here and walk into the world and we can just spend our money forever and we can spend as much money as we want to wherever we go? Does anybody think that? Now, unfortunately, maybe the culture does. But guess what happens? Even if you get a nice little shiny piece of plastic that you think, I can just keep on spending more and more. Do you know what happens eventually? You get maxed out. Done. There is a limit to what we can buy. There's a limit to our wealth. So why in the world do we treat our time in the exact opposite way? That our time has no end? That our time has no boundaries? That I can be everywhere for everyone all the time? Business guru Peter Drucker says it this way. He says, the supply of time is totally inflexible. No matter how high the demand or how much more we want, the supply of time will never go up. Guys, there's no price for it. It's absolutely perishable. We cannot store it up. We cannot save it up. It's actually not too much of a stretch to say that time is our scarcest and our most precious commodity and resource. And yet for most of us, we treat time as that something is just in bountiful supply. Like we can go somewhere, like we have a magic time store that we can go to, and we can ask, could you just give me two more? Like, no, we cannot do that. It's not in bountiful supply. We only have so much of it, and then that's it. And we only use time well. We only budget time through the setting of priorities when we realize that it, and by extension, we are not infinite. You see, what happens is priorities help us to make the hard choices when we realize that we can't do it all. And and frankly enough, we were not made to do it all. There was a woman by the name of Mary Madeline, and she was a staffer in both Bush presidential administrations. And she left her position when she realized the need and she recognized the need to place boundaries in her life. And she needed to reset her priorities. And her moment of clarity came in her own words, and she documented them this way. And this is, to me, just, this is where it's at, guys. This is where I kind of want to drive things this morning. She says this. 
I asked myself one day, who needs me more? And that's when I realized it's somebody else's turn to do this job. I'm indispensable to my kids and to my family, but I'm not even close to indispensable to the White House. Can I say it very frankly and plainly this morning to all of us in this room, wherever you are in life, whatever stage you are in life, you are the only person who can be a father or a mother to your kids. You are the only one who can be a husband and a wife and should be a husband or a wife to your spouse. You are the only person who can fulfill a unique role in someone else's life. And here is a really humbling thing to come to. You can be replaced in almost every other area of your life. Whether it be a job or whether it be some board that you sit on or whatever else you do, you can be replaced. You are expendable. You are dispensable there. But you cannot be replaced in the most important roles in your life. Setting priorities can be difficult and it can seem impossible, but Jesus well understood the challenge. And he, Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, had to live by boundaries. He had limitations. So why in the world do we think that we don't have to? And here is a really ironic moment that we come to this morning. The people on this planet who end up doing nothing are the very people who never realize that they can't do everything. Do you want to find a great way for your life to mean nothing? Do you want to find a great way for you to waste your life? Try to do everything that you can for everybody else all of the time. It will amount to zip. Nothing. Truth number two about priorities. Priorities really are necessary for us to serve others more effectively and deliberately. Let me just pose it to you this way with a little fictional story. We'll call her Stephanie. Imagine that you and Stephanie set up a lunch date, and then Stephanie decides that she's going to show up 45 minutes late for your lunch date. And you're like, that's cool. I can let this one go. And Stephanie apologizes and says, I'm sorry. Something came up. I tried to get here as soon as I could, but I couldn't really get here. And you're like, you know what? We're taking this one, and we're just going to throw it out. She said, I'll try harder next time. But do you know what happens the second time that you set up a lunch meeting? 45 minutes late. You're like, this is getting really irritating, but I'm going to try this again. Third time, you know what happens? Stephanie shows up 45 minutes late. It doesn't matter how hard she tries to get there on time. She can't because she's always stopping to do something else, deciding to run an errand, saying yes to a new request even stopping just to pray for someone. And, and, and really, as we look at Stephanie and we kind of paint this picture of her, we're like, you know, that's kind of the ideal person, someone who would live selflessly. She's an ideal follower of Christ, someone who would live sacrificially. But here is Stephanie's fatal flaw in everything. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I'm going to be honest with myself, it's a really fatal flaw for all of us. By trying to do too many things and meet every need that comes our way, we're unable to keep the commitments that we have already made. You know the commitment that I have made in my life? I've made a commitment to Christ. I've made a commitment to my wife. I've made a commitment to my family and to my kids. And any time that I start stacking up other yeses, do you understand what those commitments do? They go further and further down the list. And then before you know, they're just kicked off the list altogether because we have to add other things to the list that seem very important and seem very urgent in our lives. Guys, we can't do it. 
We can't respond to every request. We can't show up at every meeting. We can't see every person. Have you ever heard this line before? Can I have just a minute of your time? Is it ever just a minute of your time? Never. Guys, we cannot do that all the time. To serve others, and most importantly, God's purposes, we need priorities. Stewarding your time is not selfishly pursuing your own things. Actually, it's one of the most selfless things that you can do because you can effectively realize it's not about you. And you can free yourself to serve others well in the ways that you are uniquely called in life. I think this is what we need. How many of you are like a to-do list person? Like you list a lot like to-dos. Like your list gets pretty long, doesn't it, right? Here's what I think we really need in life. We need to flip everything in life. We need a longer list of to-don'ts than we do to-dos. It's actually what Peter Drucker called, I love this word he uses. He, he says, it's, it's, it's all about posteriorities is what he says. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about posteriorities? What's your, what's your posterior, everybody? The end of you, all right? Here's what he's saying. There are things that we purposely need to choose not to do for the sake of doing the things that we should be doing in life. And having good intentions and well wishes will not do. We need to purposely choose what we will and will, what we will not do. And here's what happens. If we don't choose what we are going to do, if we don't choose what we're going to strive for, if we don't choose what's going to be a priority in our life, do you know what does choose for us? The two don'ts. Very quickly. Everything that we should not be doing starts to dictate our schedule for us. Unclaimed, unspoken for, unstewarded time tends to flow th- towards our weak points. So-called posteriorities. Dominant people. Demands that don't call for our skills and our gifts. Crises that demand much more than any one person could ever give. That's what happens. Does that sound very familiar? Because it sounds very familiar for my life. There's one person that just wants to talk to you all the time, endlessly. And you're like, I really have to go do something now. Oh, oh, what? No, just hold on. One more minute, all right? One more minute. Never one more minute. Guys, we love and we serve others best when we plan ahead, set priorities, seek God's will in every situation of our lives. Here's the bonus thought of the morning. Again, just free of charge, throwing it out there, all right? So we've talked all about priorities this morning, and here's the deal. Here's what happens. Sometimes we say, all right, I have my priorities set in my life, and now I'm good to go. Guys, here's what we need to do after we set our priorities. We must respect the priorities of other people. Guys, pursuing mission is a community activity, meaning we're all in this together. We can't simply set priorities for ourselves and then we expect everybody else to be at our beck and call. So here's some very practical tips. I'm just going to like number some things off here, all right? This is way practical. Number one, don't expect your request to get together for coffee or for a meal or for whatever you want to do to auto, always and automatically work out. How frustrating it is when you try to set up an appointment with somebody and you're like, they're like, sorry, doesn't work, got things going there. And you're like, okay, try number two, all right? How about this date? Sorry, got that one. And you're like, no, oh, seriously. Could it be just in fact that they actually have things that are more important than you? Number two, don't get upset when your emails and your texts don't get immediately answered. That's for me. Thank you. I'm going to move on from that one. <laughs> number three, don't be offended if your needs and your wishes and your desires don't go to the top of the heap in someone else's life. Again, you know what happens in that one? He's like, it's all about me. You have to meet my needs. No, they don't. All right? Nobody needs to meet your needs. 
I love this one. Number four, don't think it's rude if someone has less availability for you than you have for them. Like maybe you're just Mr. or Mrs. like super open and available. My, my schedule's free. My calendar's completely cleared out. If that's you, amen, brother or sister. But guess what? Most of the rest of us don't operate by that. Don't think that you are just automatically going to be at the top. You're the number one for everybody in life. You're not. Number five, don't take away the time from someone else that you are so desperately fighting for yourself. Every single one of us are in this fight together. We're fighting for moments and chunks in our life where we can put first things first. And how selfish is it for every one of us to expect that we enter into somebody else's life and say, I'm going to be the most important thing in your life. That's rude. That's very, very rude. Be willing to accept that when someone says, I'm busy, or I can't, that's actually the most polite thing that they could do because you know what they're really thinking, what they should be thinking in your, their mind? They should be thinking, I have a lot of priorities in my life right now, and you are not one. In fact, they could probably say it a little ruder. They could say, I have a lot of priorities in my life right now, and guess what you are? You are a posteriority, all right? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I'm going to hold on to that one because I want to use that with my boss sometimes. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Guys, here's the deal. Unless we are God, and we've already established very clearly many times that we are not God, we never deserve to have the sole priority in anyone's life, not just sometimes, but never do we deserve to have the sole and number one priority in anybody's life at any time. That goes for your kids, it goes for your spouse. You are not the number one in your spouse's life. Your spouse is not the number one in your life. Your kids are not the number one in your life. That place is reserved for one person and one person only, God. That's it. That's a priority issue right there. Here's what happens so many times when somebody talks about priorities. We think of priorities as a very linear process, and it's not a linear process. And this is what I mean by it. We say to ourselves, all right, can we all agree in here? What is the most important relationship we should have in our life? God. Got this one. I'm good here. All right, next one. Boom. All right? If we have a spouse, probably should be our spouse. That's the next important important thing. Okay, God spouse. Boom. Okay, what's the next one here? Kids. Family. The whole thing. We've got it, all right? So, okay, I'm going good here. I've got the straight line now. God, spouse, family. What what should come next? All right? Some people would, like, debate on this one right here, all right? That's fine. We could say work here. We could say ministry. We could say a lot of things. But here's the problem with this whole process. It actually itself becomes very demanding and and burdening, all right? Because we've tried... I can't think of how to have all these things in order. Like, and when we get to four over here, what goes in four? I don't understand. Is it supposed to be work? Is it supposed to be church? Is it supposed to be ministry? Is it supposed to be... I don't know. And then before you know long, we're, ah, we're freaking out again. Priorities is not a linear process. I think of it more this way. Um, how many... This is probably easier to ask this. How many of you do not know what an ice cube tray is? Anybody? You're like, What? Yes, sweet. Okay, so before they had ice makers on refrigerators, freezers, there were these things called ice cube trays. But the problem was, when they first came up with ice cube trays, what was the problem with them? You would fill it up, and then it would be messy and spilling all over the place, and then you'd have to like move it to the next one, and then you have to move it to the next one, and you have to move it to the next one, and then you have to transfer it over to the freezer, and you're spilling it all over the floor in the process, spilling it all over the place in the freezer, which is okay because it's going to freeze anyway, so it really doesn't matter. But then somebody had this genius idea with ice cube trays. Do you know what they did with them? They made little cuts or grooves in them so that when you were filling up one set of the ice cube tray, do you know what happened? It would spill over into the next one. 
And then when that got filled up, it would spill over to the next one. Here's the point I'm getting at, guys, in talking about ice cube trays. Priorities aren't linear, all right? It's all about kind of an overflow process is what I would call it. So what you need to decide in your life, and I think that I've probably pretty much established this, and we're in a church, so it's kind of much, pretty much a given what your most important priority should be is God, your relationship with Christ. Here's the thing. If your relationship with Christ is not going right in your life, guess what's not going to go right in the rest of your life? Anything. It's all going to be out of whack. So you need to figure out what you need to get out of your relationship with Christ at this part of the process so that it overflows into every other part of your process of, of your life. If your relationship with Christ is going really well, you're really connected, you're really abiding in Christ, it's going to naturally overflow into your relationship with your spouse. And then you know what happens when you naturally have a good relationship with your spouse? It overflows and it does great things in your relationship with your family and your kids. And if all three of those things are lined up, do you know it naturally, automatically starts to happen? Everything else in your life starts to go well and line up. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't bumps in the road and it's like, oh, sweet, this is how you have a perfect life. It doesn't happen that way. But guys, if we can't ever get into the overflow of a relationship with Christ... Nothing else is ever going to go right. It's why we feel overworked and busy and stressed out and full of anxiety because we can never get in a place where we have a relationship with Christ right. So the question again, some questions again here at the end is, what do you need in your relationship with Christ to cause a trickle-down effect in every other area of your life? And I don't, sometimes people like really drive me nuts when they do this. They're like, well, you know, you need to get up at like five in the morning and you need to like an hour and a half of devotional study. Like, like no, I don't know what it is for you. Time at the beginning of the day is not what I need. All right. I, I don't need that. It's not how I start my day. If you do, wonderful. I'm not saying you're a bad person if you start your devotional life off in the morning. All right. Maybe you need time at the beginning of the day. Maybe you're a person who needs to just come and like de-stress and unwind at the end of the day when time with God. Maybe you need times along the way in the, de- in the day, short bursts where you can be with Christ. Putting first things first puts everything else in the right place in life, guys. A prioritized life flows out of a clear and deliberate actions which speak to the important versus what is ideal. Now, let me tell you this. When you start living a life of priority, guess what happens? It's not always convenient. It's not always the ideal. Can, can I just be really honest sometimes when I sit down and I go to read God's word? Like, I don't always just come to it and it's like, oh, and I'm like, I love this. This is amazing today. Sometimes I come to it and I'm like, I don't want to read that today. I'm, I'm fried. I'm done from the day. Sometimes I, like, I come and I'm like, I don't have anything to say to you, God. I don't even know. I'm just showing up here today. But you know what? Sometimes that's better. Sometimes it's better to just show up rather than just check out. That's, that's what I see, all right? And sometimes it's about what's important, truly important, rather than what's ideal. I'd rather be going and doing that or I'd rather be watching that pointless sporting event on TV. That's usually my conversation that happens in my head. But I'm not going to strive for just ideal. I'm going to strive for what's important. Guys, can I, can I say this as bold and upfront as I can this morning? Here, here's what everything has meant this morning. Do not waste your life. Don't waste your life. But live a life of priority by putting first things first. After all, as we said at the very beginning, what comes first in our life determines everything about us. 
A serious change in priorities doesn't come from a few tweaks or a few minor adjustments, but it comes from a major overhaul and a mindset change. I love this point in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking to the church there, and he says it so boldly and so wonderfully. I think it should just like be burned into all of us here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, and he says this to the Corinthians. I passed on to you what was most, what's that word? Important. This has priority. And what has also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. That's it. Guys, may the cross be the starting point and the place from which everything else flows in our life. Will you pray with me?